Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 all the way through to verse 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. And so we continue our series entitled The Big Story of the Bible, Finding Our Place in God's Story. You see, the Bible tells one big story, one unified story that finds its climax in Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's a story of God and it's the true story of the world. And I find it quite helpful to see the Bible as a drama that is made up of six acts. So in Act 1, we have creation. The king establishes his kingdom. Act 2, the fall. There is human rebellion within the kingdom. Act 3, Israel. God chooses to work through the nation of Israel to restore the world. And so the restoration of the kingdom is initiated. Act 4, Jesus. The king comes. God acts decisively through Jesus to restore the world and to establish his kingdom on earth. Act 5, church. Spreading the good news of the king through both words and action. And this is where we find our place within the drama. Act 6, restoration, new creation. The king returns and the whole world, the whole cosmos is, is renewed and restored and God fully and completely establishes his kingdom on earth. And so that's the story of God in a nutshell and that's the true story of the world and I invite you to find your place within the story. Now we're still in Act 1, creation. Last week, we saw how God created the whole cosmos, the whole world, to, to be a temple, to be a dwelling place, a place where he would be at home, where it would be a home for God and a home for us. And today, we're going to look at humanity's place within creation. And so we're going to be looking at both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Now, I don't know if you've you noticed this, but there's a, a second account of creation in Genesis chapter 2. And it's different from Genesis chapter 1. So we've got two different accounts. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates plants, then animals, then humans. But in Genesis chapter 2, there's a different order. God creates man, 
then plants, then animals, and then woman. And, and in Genesis chapter 1, God is transcendent. God merely creates by speaking and through his spirit. Whereas in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, God is very imminent and he's very personal and he gets his hands dirty. He, he rolls up his sleeves, he gets some dirt, he molds a human, he gives it mouth to mouth, and, and so it becomes a living being. In Genesis chapter 1, it, it's all about God creating the whole cosmos, the whole world. It's got a global focus, whereas in Genesis chapter 2, it just focuses, it focuses on one couple within a garden. And so these two accounts are very different, but they're complementary. Uh, they both communicate different truths, and we need both. We need both. And it's only a problem that the details only become a problem if you try to interpret it as a, as a very literal historical account rather than a symbolic historical account. So this is a historical account. God really did create, and, and Adam and Eve were real people. So this is very historical, but it's a, a symbolic historical account. It uses poetry and metaphors and symbolism. And so we shouldn't get caught up on all the detail. Uh, you know, we shouldn't get worried about what did God create in a literal six days or over millions of years or what was the actual order of creation. We shouldn't focus on the details because that's not the point. Rather, we should focus on the profound truth that has been communicated through the symbolism. So what does Genesis teach us about humanity? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, it says, God created humankind in his own image. Uh, we didn't emerge from some pre-existent cosmic muck. You know, we, we're not an accident. We're not a product, a random product of time and chance. No, God created us. That means our existence has meaning and purpose, profound meaning and purpose. There, there was a reason and a purpose for why God created us. Now, and the creation of humanity wasn't kind of like an afterthought. Now, God didn't have these, these offcuts left over, and he thought, well, it'd be a shame for that to go to waste, and let's, let's do something with that. No, no, Genesis makes it very clear that the creation of humans was the final and climatic act of creation. It happens, the last act of creation, and after God has created, he says, it's very good. Everything else was good, but this is very good. God thinks we're a great idea. God really loves us. And the significance and the importance of, of humans is also brought out in the fact that we are created in the image of God. That makes us distinct from the rest of creation. So, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. And of course, there's been a lot of speculation about who is this us that God is talking to. Uh, some theologians believe that this is a reference to the Trinity, to the Holy Spirit, and to Jesus. But to me, I, I think that's highly unlikely uh, that the author, all the original readers, would have thought that because that would have been simply beyond their horizon. 
It's more likely that it's referring to God's heavenly court, to the angels who presumably are also created in the image of God. But the significance over here is that amongst the physical realm, only humans are created in the image of God. That makes us very distinct from the rest of creation. And there's been a lot of speculation, of course, about what it means to be created in the image of God. And so some have speculated it's got something to do with the human mind and imagination or our ability for rational thought, for making moral decisions or imagination or or that we've got a language faculty and so on and so on. And I'm sure there's a lot of truth in that, but that's not the point. Others have speculated it's got to do with something with our our makeup, that we are made of a, a body and a soul and a spirit. Uh, and that, that sets us apart from the rest of creation because we've got a spirit and other living creatures don't. But Genesis chapter 2 seems to suggest otherwise. So in uh, Genesis chapter 2 in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a human from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. So we were created in this account from the dust of the ground which is the very same stuff that God creates everything else from. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24, God says, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 30, we discover that all other living creatures also have the breath of life in them. So we are very similar to all other creatures. We are made from the same stuff. We both have the breath of God in us. We, we're made from the very same stuff. We've got, that's why our genetic makeup is so similar to other creatures, because we share the same makeup. We're made of the same stuff. And so on the one hand, we, we're very earthly. Now, there's a, there's a pun, or there's a play on words in the Hebrew that we don't pick up in, in, a tra- in the translation, English translations. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it the, the Hebrew word that is translated human is Adam. Adam is the Hebrew word for human or humankind or man, and it's even used as the, the personal name of the first human who was created, Adam. And then the Hebrew word that's translated ground is Adamah. And so Adam is made from Adamah. There's a real connectedness and a link between Adam and Adamah. So I think a good translation in English would be something like, then the Lord God formed a earthling from the dust of the earth. There's a real connectedness. We are very earthly in in, in the makeup, in our makeup, in our physiology, in our genetics. We we share this very same stuff that all other creatures are made of. We We come from the stuff of creation. We're very earthly. So on the one hand, we are very earthly. We're the same as the rest of creation. But on the other hand, we are completely different, distinct, unique, and set apart from the rest of creation Because we are the image of God. And so the big question is, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Now, people in the ancient world, in the ancient Middle Eastern cultural context, they all know exactly what an image of God is. An image of God 
is either one, an idol in a temple that represents God, or two, it's a king who ruled on behalf of a god. And so within the ancient world, that's exactly what they would be thinking of when they read that phrase. They would all have a, everyone would have a temple, and within the temple there would be an idol, a statue, an image of the god. And so, for example, near Babylon, in a city of Sephar, they would have an idol in their temple, an idol of Shamash, which was the sun god. Now, they didn't think the idol was God. They believed that Shamash would carry the sun across the sky every day. But nor did they think that this idol, this image, was a a merely lifeless object. They believed that the very presence of God indwelt that idol, that by the God's Spirit indwelt that idol, and so that idol would make God present on earth. And also the idol would represent the very characteristics of God. So, for example, if they believed their God was very strong and powerful, the idol might look like a bull, which would represent power and strength. It would represent the very characteristics of that God. And so it's within this cultural context that the Bible says humanity is the image of God. That means humanity represents God. Humanity makes God present on earth. Humanity reflects and represents the character of God on earth. We, we are meant to reflect the image of God. We're meant to reflect the character, the, the, the love and the compassion and the justice of God to the rest of the world. That's what it means to be human. So we, we like the visible and physical representations of the invisible creator God. We like a living picture of God. That's what it means to be human. And so, like a child reflects and imitates their parent, we need to imitate God. Or we can think of us like a mirror. Not a mirror that just reflects God's image back to God, but an angled mirror that reflects the image of God onto the rest of creation. We reflect his character. We reflect his love. We reflect his justice and his compassion to the the rest of creation. That's what it means to be the image of God. The image of God also means to be like a king who rules on behalf of God. So, for example, uh, an Assyrian king was referred to as the perfect likeness of God. That's not referring to his physical looks. That's referring to his inner qualities and his, particularly his ability to rule the world on God's behalf. And so being the image of God is all about ruling on God's behalf. And we see this very clearly in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, which says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over. Being in the image of God is all about having a job, a vocation of ruling. 
We see this again in Psalm 8 and verses 4 to 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet. Humans, as the image of God, are co-rulers with God. It's all about being a co-ruler with God. And so what we discover over here is that God doesn't rule the world directly. God chooses to rule the world through humanity, his image bearers. And we see this immediately in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 19 to 20, where the first human is given the task of naming all the living creatures. And naming someone in that cultural context was highly significant. Within that ancient cultural context, to name someone was to exercise authority over it. And also within that ancient context, to name something was to set its destiny. You would say, I'm going to call you flying bird. Then that's what you would be. You would be a flying bird. That would be your destiny. It was about having exercising authority and setting destiny. So up until this point, only God has named things. God has named everything because God has authority over everything. He is the king over all creation. But over here, we see that humanity gets to share in that authority. And it's very interesting in verse uh, 19, it says that God brought them to the man to see what he would name them. He's waiting to see what the man would name him. Now, now presumably, he could just read, read the guy's mind and know exactly what he was going to, or, or he could see the future and then know exactly uh, what the names were going to be. But he doesn't do that. We're told he, he waits to see what the man will name him. And so what we discover over here is that God wants a real-time relationship. Okay, he doesn't want a predetermined relationship. This is a real-time relationship. And it tells us that, that we are given real freedom and real authority. We make real choices, and we are to exercise real authority. So how do we rule? We were created in the image of God to rule on God's behalf. How do we rule? By gardening. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, we read, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We are to take care of creation. We are royal stewards. We are royal because we are like kings who have authority to rule over creation. But how do we rule over creation? By serving it, by being stewards. And so we are royal stewards. This is a servant leadership. The way we rule over is to serve. It's all about nature conservation. And so what we... What we discover over here is that 
Although God has finished con- uh, created, and it's good indeed, very good, creation is incomplete. Creation is incomplete. It's not yet complete. God has started a project, an awesome project that is going somewhere, and he's created humanity to bring it to that end. See, God's creation isn't like an ornament that's perfect and it's just going to sit there and everyone's going to admire it. No, it's a project that is going somewhere and we've got the task to take it to completion. And the way we do that is by releasing all the hidden potential within creation. By gardening. By taking a seed and planting it and releasing all that potential in that seed so a plant grows and eventually we end up with a forest. Releasing all the hidden potential within creation, within agriculture, within art, within music, within culture generally, within commerce, within politics, within family life, within leisure, in all these areas. And so what we discover over here is that work has value in and of itself. All work has value in and of itself because we've been created to work, and our work is all about releasing potential and bringing creation to the ends that God wants it to go to. As long as we are doing it in a way that honors God and reflects God, then all work is part of being the image of God. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. So just as Adam and Eve were were cultivating the garden and releasing all the potential in this garden, we need a whole lot more humans to cover the whole earth and release all of its potential. That's what it means by filling the earth and subduing it and ruling over it. It's about humans covering the whole earth so that they can release all the potential of the whole earth. And so it's got absolutely nothing to do with exploiting nature, as some have suggested. It's got, it means the complete opposite. It's all about being the royal steward. Nature conservation, releasing all the potential, taking care of it. It's all about exercising authority over creation by serving creation. And then in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Wow. That's pretty shocking for that cultural context. In that patriarchal cultural context, only a king, only a male king, (laughs) would be the image of God. But over here we see that it's not just the king, it's just not just the male, it's all of humanity, male and female, that are the image of God. See, there is a hierarchy. In in Genesis chapter 1, God is the ultimate authority. He delegates his authority to all humanity, male and female, who then exercise servant leadership authority over the rest of creation. 
There's absolutely no hint of any human having any authority over any other human. No human should have authority over another one. No male over female, no husband over wife, no king over subject, no master over slave. There's a profound equality here. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, when we have the Spirit of God coming and bringing about new creation, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we see that there is a real equality within all humanity, male and female. And it also shows us that there's a real need for community. We are created to be in community. No one person can can fully reflect the image of God. We need to be in community. It's only in community and only when we've got male and female that we can truly and fully be the image of God. And this, this equality... And this need for community is wonderfully depicted in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 22 to 23, where we see how God creates the woman from the man's rib. God creates the woman from the very same stuff, not from another piece of dirt, but the very same stuff, the very same genetic makeup, except for gender distinctions. They complement each other. They complete each other. They find their missing part in each other. See, all of humanity has been created for community, and the deepest expression of this community is marriage, but not exclusively so. Any community. We need to be in community. We are created to be in community, and it's only when we're in community, when we're together with equality, that we can bring out the best in each other and that we can truly and fully be the image of God. Now, some have focused on verse 23, where the man says, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And they say, Ah, he's naming her. He's exercising authority over her. He's not naming her over here. It's very Uh, very significant that they avoid using the word naming and rather use called. And and it's not naming. What's happening over here, he's merely, it's an exclamation of kind of, wow. And he's merely uh, identifying and recognizing who she is. He's merely recognizing that she's the same as him. There's profound equality, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's only after the fall that he names her and exercises authority over her. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, it makes it very clear, Adam named his wife Eve. It's then that he starts exercising authority over her. But initially, before the fall, there was profound equality and harmony. There there, there was no... uh, There's no bitterness and hatred. There was no arrogance and selfish ambition. There was no guilt and shame. And we told at the end of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
And so we've been created to be in community. We were created for each other. No one can be fully human by themselves. We need each other. We need community. We've been created for community. And we've been created in the image of God. We have a job to do. We've been created for a purpose and a reason, and that's to be God's image, to represent God, to represent His presence, and to represent His character to the rest of creation, to reflect His image, His character, His love and compassion and justice to the rest of the world, to be God's co-rulers as God's royal stewards. Who, who, who rule over creation in, in, by serving creation, by being conservation officers, by bringing out all the hidden potential. And so we've been created to be in a relationship with God. You see, we will never be able to do this job. We will never be able to be the image of God. We'll never be able to be truly human Unless we're in a relationship with God, unless we're worshiping God, unless we're allowing God to pour His love and compassion into us so that we can reflect it on to the rest of creation without being in that relationship with God, we'll never be able to do that. It's only when we're in a relationship with God that we'll be able to rule over creation in a non-exploitive way and in a selfless way like Jesus And so what we discover over here is that we've been created to be in a relationship with the world, to be the royal steward over the world, bringing out all the best of the world. We also created to be in a relationship with fellow humans, with one another, in, in, in a relationship that is mutually beneficial and complementary and, and, and profoundly equal. But ultimately, we created to be in that relationship with God. And this very unique, very personal relationship with God is, is depicted in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 to 30, where God addresses humanity directly. He speaks to humans. He only speaks to humans directly. He wants a relationship with us. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, we're told that God was in the habit of walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God wants to walk with you. He wants to spend time with you, and he wants to talk with you. One of the great church forefathers, Augustine of Hippo, said, We are made for God, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. We've been made by God, and we've been made for God. And therefore, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. But we all know how the story unfolds. Humanity turns their back on God, and as a result, we don't reflect the image of God the way we should, and we've made a mess of the world. We'll hear more of that next time. And as a result of that, God comes in the person of Jesus as a human. As, as the perfect human, as the perfect image of God, who perfectly reflects God to the rest of the world. And he shows us how to be truly human. He shows us servant leadership. 
And then he dies for us because of, to sort out the mess of the world that we've made. And then he gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come into us, to renew us, and to transform us so that we can be the image of God. The very thing God created us to be. And that's why we celebrate Pentecost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we stand in awe that you have created us to be the image of God, that you would choose to work through us like that. Father, we stand in awe. We feel so honored and so privileged to be able to, ha- or, or just to have that calling. But we also feel quite intimidated by that calling with the, the sense of a huge responsibility. But Father, we thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices, but you came in the person of Jesus to show us how to do it. And now you give us your Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to become the image of God, the very thing you created us to be. And Father, won't you forgive us for the time when we have failed to exercise that royal stewardship. We have ruled with self-interest rather than selflessly. Forgive us for the times when we pushed ourselves above other humans, thrown our weight around rather than celebrating equality. Won't you forgive us? And Father, we pray that won't you pour your Holy Spirit upon us afresh, breathe your Spirit upon us afresh, enable us, renew us, restore us so that we truly can be the very things you created us to be, your image on earth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.